0: This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Good Omens Season 2 is canon and real, and I am living and dying simultaneously. Ineffable Husbands, here we come. My name is Alex, I use they them pronouns, and this is Stride with Pride. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of Stride with Pride. I hope you have had a fantastic however long it's been since you listened to the last episode. On this week's episode we are going to talk about the wondrous world of fandom and how the queer contingency sort of interacts with that. We're the backbone of fandom, I tell you. Um, So fandom is a very broad term. It encompasses a lot of different things and ways of being, um, but like... If you've been anywhere on the internet, you know that a fandom is just a group of people who are a fan of something. Um, and it doesn't necessarily dictate how people interact with things, um, or anything like that. But generally, what people think of when they think of fandom is more screaming teen girls sort of thing, um, which is looked down upon by society because of misogyny. Um, and then the people who are fans of things like Sherlock who were Friggin' crazy. Not Sherlock, the BBC show. I mean the original novels and stuff. They were just as crazy. So, like, cut that misogyny out. Stop hating on teen girls. Because they're teen girls. Um, (laughs) But with that out of the way, fandom has been around for a very long time. Um, People have always been congregating and finding um, things that they love and finding community around things that they love. And that's not isolated to cis-hat people. Wow, who'd have thunk it? Um, And a lot of queer people find themselves drawn to it. So I thought I'd look into that a bit today. So as a lot of... Things, when you talk about media and queer people, have to start with the Hays Code. So, for the uninitiated, the Hays Code was a self-imposed morality clause sort of thing that you had to abide by, um, a set of rules for the television industry and movie industry in America at the time um, and it was sort of put in place around the early 1930s but wasn't really seriously enforced until about 1934 and officially was in place until 1968. So quite a significant amount of time and the part that's relevant here today is the part that um, says that topics that are considered perverse um, so th- this includes uh, homosexuality, um, interracial relationships, bestiality and venereal diseases. Um, love that that's all lumped in together. Um, they couldn't be discussed or depicted in any way or if they were, they would have to be punished for it at the end whether that's by death or by a bunch of other things but usually by death which is part of where the bury your gays trope comes from um, which uh, mm, we, we love. It's so spicy and a fun time <laughs> So, because of this, um, a lot of queer characters had to be hidden or coded um, within media. So, we've talked about that before. My wonderful friend Elliot uh, talked about queer representation and how things had to be coded into um, things when, you know, things were in place saying that you literally cannot portray these people without punishing them. Um, so, there was a sort of code set up within that um, ways of queer coding characters. And a lot of people. You know, there was a lot of straight, cis media around, and there wasn't really any representation for queer people themselves to see themselves in media. And we all know, we all know that representation is super, 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 super important. Um, so because of this, they didn't have any of that representation. And so queer people started shipping characters to sort of insert themselves and insert their own representation into the media that they love. Ways to find themselves and represent themselves within this piece of media that they loved. And a lot of queer people formed fandom around this um, and, you know, forming a community around this. So this was really, really useful for queer people and really important because they got to see themselves um, within, you know, fan fiction and fanzines. Um, which were really popular at the time. I'll come back to that a little bit later. But it was a way of creating trauma-free representation because even when the haze Codes were lifted and queer people began to be shown on screen, it was often stories of suffering. And we we definitely know this as queer people. It was stories of suffering that were the most prominent ones. And it's such a lovely time. (laughs) Um, so this was a way of creating places where you can just exist and be happy um, and people like you can just be happy Um, so that's writing things like fluff fix um, or hurt comfort fix Um, so just things that let people like you exist and be happy in the world and that's super super important And because there is such amazing diversity within fandoms, especially within queerness and diversity in that way, you can get such amazing diversity within perspectives in a sort of own voices way. So if if this diverse array of people are telling their own stories through these characters, you get to see the perspective as it really is and you get to empathise with it in a way that you wouldn't. You might not necessarily otherwise, because you're already open to being empathetic towards these characters because you know these characters, you're used to them, but it opens you up to seeing and understanding a perspective in a way that you might not have otherwise, because these identities aren't shown or represented or represented well, but you can see them through the eyes of someone who is actually that identity, but also you're already more open to being empathetic towards them because it's your favorite characters so it can be really really useful learning tool in that way and queer people are sort of the backbone of fandom a lot of the time (laughs) um especially for star trek so star trek was at one point a dying show um jesse gender has done an amazing video about that i'll talk a bit more about her later um but Star Trek was dying, but because of the massive amounts of queer people participating in fanzines, um, shipping two of the characters, that boosted the popularity and it it made more of it be able to be made because it convinced execs that there was an audience for the show. And so it kept something alive because of the power of queer people. So there are a lot of different ways in which... People engage in fandom and queer people engage in fandom because queer people, well, surprise, are people. But there are, there's a vast, vast array of different ways that people can interact with fandom, whether that's through art, through writing, through just absorbing content and supporting creators. Um, some people make edits. Some people make really cool fan videos. And there's just an immense amount of ways that people can engage with fandom. And it's all creative stuff done for the love of something, which is really, really beautiful. I cannot overstate how much I love the creativity within fandom culture. So, you know, I have had a lot of experience with it, as you can, may or may not be able to tell. Wow, who'd have thunk it? Um, But, yeah, no, I definitely have... A decent amount of experience with writing and reading fanfic within that and generally that is for queer characters and so I was sort of involved with fandom from about 12 years old um and sort of I started properly engaging when I was 13 14 and that's when I started getting involved with writing things um especially for a blog and you know all the whole the whole Tumblr shebang um and it was a really amazing way to find community for me um even before I knew I was queer you know you'd found you'd find friends through that but then as you, as it went along uh, it turns out most of the people were queer and i don't know if that's just because of the spaces that i interacted with or um because there's a significant amount of queer people within that um but it's just it's something interesting i've noticed and there's i feel like there probably would be studies about it um so i may look those up at some point i'll let you know but it 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 was really interesting to be able to through this and through head canning characters as different genders and sexualities and talking about you know matters of the world and wondering about certain aspects of things it's was really a useful learning tool for me Um, as my gender and sexuality education continued. I found different experiences and people writing from their experiences through characters, you get to see different experiences through people's eyes and you get to really, really empathise with that in a way that you wouldn't necessarily just from telling it straight off. So you, you get to experience it through these characters that you are already familiar with. And so you have a bit of an idea of how it goes, but then there's the extra bit, um, which is a really useful learning tool, I would say. And like I said before, it, it's a really good way to find community. And it's a lot of the time, fandom spaces are very queer. And so it's a very safe space to hear canon characters and, um, and explore different ways of these characters being that's outside the Norman, you know you're always going to get people who are like that's not right, they would never do this like what what ew that's that doesn't align with my beliefs about the character, but you know what those people suck um, death of the author exists for a reason, and <laughs> we can talk about that a little bit later, and he can and characters with these different identities um, allows representation for even more underrepresented identities. So, you know, there is some representation for cis gay people, whether that's lesbians or gay men. Um, And there is some representation for a few other identities coming up more often, but there are still identities that have barely, barely been scratched at all. And I'm not saying that the representation that is there is necessarily good, but there's some that aren't represented at all. And you can... canon characters, and write characters, and draw characters as an identity that you are to find representation for yourself. So you're creating your own representation through a medium that's already familiar to people, which can be really wonderful. I do want to quickly talk about um, fetishization for a sec. So uh, if you have been in online fandom spaces, probably, it, it definitely doesn't happen as much now, but back in the early days, so probably 2014-ish, it was extremely common to have cis-het women girls fetishizing gay couples um, and calling them things like my little sinners, Um, and really, really just being sort of gross about the fact that they were gay and really, really leaning into that in a way that seemed a bit, a bit odd um, and it, it definitely rubbed a lot of queer people the wrong way um, and that's not to say you can't enjoy relationships of a sexuality that you aren't that is, is is not the case at all but it was the way in which they were treating it like it was wrong and a little scandalous um, when it was just too People of the same gender loving each other um so it's definitely of its time um but it it still does sometimes happen today so i guess take a look at yourself if you're you're doing that (laughs) um but it is something that affected queer people in fandom and there was also um a lot of shipping of real life people and i'm going to talk about the most egregious example um which is Dan and Phil. So if you don't know these people, um, they are two British YouTubers who are really good friends and have been creating videos on YouTube together for upwards of 10 years, I would say. A long time, a very long time. Oh, definitely upwards of 10 years. For a very long time. And people were so, so on their backs about them being together and asking them really personal questions and things that we don't deserve to know about their private life. They are allowed to keep things secret, you know? Um, and just shipping real life people is not, it it's not, it, that ain't it chief. <laughs> it can get very, very dubious very quickly. Um, and often when you're shipping people in real life, it was queer people or shipping them in queer relationships um and that can be especially dangerous for people who aren't out yet or aren't even out to themselves or aren't ready to come out or if if they were to they would be in danger from that and that's that was something that really affected them and they've talked about them in their coming out videos and it's just it's just something we have to keep in mind when we're interacting with fandom things because these are real people they're real human people and your words can have effects on them go and ship you, all of your dynamics from fiction all you like just not not real people come on that ain't it chief and now we'll get to favorite favorite topic queer baiting so <laughs> it is quite prominent within fandoms that tend to skew towards afab or queer demographics um, it is unfortunately very common to find queer baiting within them, to draw in a queer audience without ever and, and giving hints that these characters are queer, and we, we promise they're queer, um, without ever intending to have a payoff for it. Um, and it's very much, it's, it's very egregious when the creators look down upon queer people for finding the subtext that is purposefully written in there to draw them in, and then they deny it completely. This has unfortunately happened quite a lot with some very, very popular fandoms. Um, so most notable is probably Sherlock, um, but also <laughs> Supernatural. <laughs> Ooh, we love that thing. Um but yeah, no, for for Sherlock, especially, characters were shipped and they, I don't want to defame anyone, but from what I know, um, for Sherlock, I mean, the creators at the start of season three, I think it was, had an entire huge part of the episode mocking fans for creating theories about it, uh, including one of the scenarios mocking people for shipping two characters together. And these were not the main characters that were being shipped because those are John and Sherlock, obviously, but it's referenced so many times in the show, always jokingly, and there's never the payoff. And it's just always left as a dangling thread. And that is so insidious to draw in a queer audience with hope of representation. And this was a decent amount of time ago, so maybe five years? And to just snatch that away and never actually give anything. That is despicable. Not a good time. Um, There's also (laughs) Supernatural. We all know what happened with that. Gays go to super hell. Um, Yeah, so it had been teased for a very long time. Their relationship was built up over so many seasons. Um, And then there wasn't... There was nothing. It was just as soon as he officially came out Cass just went to hell immediately died forever literally immediately bury your gaze like <laughs> that is the shortest amount of time from coming out to dead that has been around um we love when creators do things um and a lot of the time it can be influenced by the studio and the creators have little control over it but you know the times when the creators make fun of people for chipping these characters that they've intentionally, intentionally written to be queer coded to to queer bait with that is despicable uh, and mm, happens more often than I'd like, which I w- I would like it to happen not. Um, so you know anything is more than that. <laughs> Another thing I did want to mention is. So recently there has been the movie Luca that has come out, which is so queer, so gay, go look at it. It's it's a wonderful gay story. There are so many different um reviews of it. I think Rowan Alice did a video about j- just a chaotic rant about how gay it is. Um I would highly, highly recommend that. Um but pretty much everyone interprets it as a queer story. And the director um has just been like, um no, it's not. Um, and I just want to say that there is a difference between saying it wasn't intended to be that, but I can see that you understand it and view the story as this way and that it adds depth for you. And that's really cool. I hadn't thought of that when I did it, but that's a really cool interpretation. There's a difference between that and just saying, no, you're wrong very big difference between that um but when pretty much everyone when you have to make a statement saying specifically that it's not gay it's it's gay it's pretty gay if pretty much everyone is interpreting it as gay I mean like death of the author like it's gay (laughs) so lastly I wanted to talk about something you're probably expecting um I, but if I'm doing an episode on fandom and queer people, I have to talk about Harry Potter. I, the, Harry Potter was my main fandom for like five years. It is the first fandom that I properly got into and got into online. I collected facts about it, I was obsessed with it. I read the books so many times, and when I finished, reading the series i would go back to the start and start again and i watched all the movies so many times and got mad about all the changes they <laughs> made and i looked up facts for all i could find and i looked at pottermore i looked all through pottermore i bought all the all the supplementary books and all of that i was so into it and i was shipping a bunch of characters from it as well and writing fanfic for it and was such a source of creativity for so many people and a source of community, especially for queer people, finding solace in this place and this outsider narrative and just a place where they could be themselves and wanting to find Hogwarts and the place where they could find home and would be safe from homophobia and all things like that. And then... JK Rowling happened. <laughs> She's a turf. and she is unfortunately the creator of this world that so many people have found home in and it's, I mean we saw this coming for a couple years before it all went to trash <laughs> in the past year or so but it's led to a very complicated relationship with this thing that was very formative to my identity. It's something that we've all had to really consider and think about how we interact with, especially as queer people. But what a lot of people are doing is well, interacting with it with nuance. So <laughs> we've come to see all the little things we didn't notice before that are ooh, slightly anti-Semitic or, ooh, that's transphobic. You can see the cracks within it. But there's also this element of taking away the power from her. So if you don't know, there's a thing called death of the author, um, which is essentially once the – it's it's the idea that essentially once an author has published their text, it is no longer theirs. It is the audience's, and they can choose to interpret it however they like. The author's intention doesn't matter within that. And that is something we've all had to sort of become aware of, Um and it's it's sort of our way of reclaiming this world that was created by such an awful person that it still has a lot of power and meaning for us, and being able to reclaim that from transphobic grips can be an act of defiance and an act of power and <laughs> using heat cannon and shipping to create new cannon. I I mean, I feel like it would infuriate her a little bit, you know, isn't that, isn't that a righteous girl? I would say so. If we make a transphobe angry by headcanon and characters as trans, I'm just saying that would be pretty cool. There is a lot of nuance to this discussion and I think it was James Summerton has done a really, really wonderful video on this and also ContraPoints. A lot of queer creators have done really complex videos about it and I suggest you go watch them. But it's, it was, it kind of went through the stages of grief, and that's what James Summerton's video is about. I would suggest checking him out, because he's really cool, and I love him. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it, it's a very complicated topic, and I, personally, for me, in my interacting with it, I don't interact with it as much as I did. Not nearly as much as I did. It's not my main fandom anymore, Um, hasn't been for a little while, but It's still something that was a huge part of my identity growing up, and that's not going to go away. And I guess it's learning to come to terms with that and find ways to exist within the world in ways that would anger a transphobe. (laughs) Finding ways to exist within a world that was kind of built to not like you, but finding a home in it anyway. And I think that's a really cool way to stick to the man. For this week's creator spotlight, I'm going to spotlight Jessie Gender. So I talked about her a bit before, um, but she does so many videos on, um, on fandom, on queer people, um, and some really good deconstructions of things. Um, does video essays. Like, what creator that I shout out doesn't do video essays? Look, I, that's just what I interact with. Um, Give me suggestions for creators to spotlight if you're sick of video essayists at stride.pride at stride.with.pride on Instagram. Hit me up. (laughs) But she is a wonderful video essayist. She's a trans woman and she does a lot of videos on um, fandom and transness and dissecting different ways in which things are represented and just uh, it's a lot of a lot of wonderful stuff and there's also a big big long one about capitalism which we we love talking about that or (laughs) anti-capitalism so it's a it's a lot of good stuff and i would highly recommend her um so go check her out but that is it for this week's episode of stride with pride i hope you've had a fantastic day afternoon or evening whenever you're listening to this and And remember that you are an amazing, wonderful person, so, so deserving of so much love. You are so loved and valued just for for being yourself. Don't forget to spread your joy. See you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash freefm89 to find out more.